0: Many years ago, back when I had more hair and laptop computers were just becoming prevalent uh, around the world, I came to the conclusion that we needed a laptop computer for our ministry in the Philippines. Well, laptops at that time ran somewhere between two thousand and three thousand dollars and to clarify they weren't even good laptops by today's standards but they were very expensive and we didn't have the money personally or in the ministry to be able to buy one so we began praying that God would provide what we needed to be able to get a laptop well a little t- a little while later a church in the U.S. contacted me and asked if we had any projects that they could sponsor for their vacation Bible school, just like we do for our VBS every year. We we pick a missionary and we raise money and usually it weighs more than it's worth, but that's okay it, because the kids get involved and, and all of that stuff happens. And, and so that's what this church wanted to do for us as well. I said, yes, we've got some projects that you could get involved in. And so I shared with them about the laptop, but. You know, I didn't want to scare him off. So I shared several other projects as well, smaller things that they could, could do. And I said, why don't you, you know, pray about it and just let me know which one that you want to work toward. Um, their reply was this. We want to do the laptop. They said, now this is going to be a big challenge for our kids, but I think we can do it. And I was like, hoo!" Oh, my heart leapt a little bit. Uh, You know, because of their faith. Um, And so until this time in the process, I had not started shopping. You know, I mean, I'd looked online and I knew kind of how much a computer was going to cost, but I really hadn't started shopping because I knew once I started shopping, that's a that's a process that's hard to turn off, you know, and I didn't want to get my hopes up too much about it. And so uh, I knew the minimum specs that we needed, and so I started shopping around for different options. Well, finally, well, the the week of VBS came and went, and I didn't hear anything. I was like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. I was eagerly waiting to hear back from the church. I had found the system that we needed, and I was hoping to be able to order it as soon as possible. So finally, the church contacted me, uh, and when they when they did, they they sounded kind of disappointed. They communicated to me their disappointment because they were unable to raise the amount of money that we had talked about to be able to buy the laptop. You see that at the end of the week, after totaling all the offerings up, they had raised one thousand seven hundred twenty eight dollars and fifty cents which was a phenomenal amount for a Bible school. But we were looking at two to 3,000 for a laptop. They felt like they had failed. But then I shared with them that I had found a laptop and after including shipping and tax, the total price for the computer I had found was $1,727. I said, you can keep the $1. fifty for next year's project. <laughs> we and they learned that week that God knows exactly what we need and when we need it. That display of God's grace happened almost 20 years ago, which is kind of crazy uh, to think how time has flown. Happened almost 20 years ago. But you know what? God is still taking care of us. And sometimes he's taking care of us even before we realize that we have a need. Let me share another example of his grace. This one happened last month. You see, if you have a child in college, you probably have a good relationship with your mechanic. Um, before our son Caleb went to Conway to go to Central Baptist College three and a half years ago, he saved up his money and he bought Steve, his first Avenger, Dodge Avenger. Some of you got that joke, some of you didn't, but that's okay. Well, Steve has driven many, many miles back and forth between Central Baptist College and as a result he has had many repairs to, that needed to be done over the years well one of those more expensive repairs came just last month being in his fourth year of school caleb decided to move out of the dorm at semester uh, so he needed furniture to fill up this new space that he was living in and so over christmas break uh we took a, a trailer load of stuff down with my vehicle Now, I knew that I needed tires sooner than later on my vehicle. Um, I just didn't know quite how soon (laughs) because of some of the uh, things that happened that day. We got off a little bit later than we had hoped. It was about 30 minutes after the sun had set. And about seven miles down Interstate 40 from Conway, uh, we had a blowout. Caleb was driving which I was very happy that he was driving, not that I didn't feel like I could handle it, but now he knows he can handle it, um, which is awesome. But he was driving and he said, Dad, should the, should the pressure light on the tires be coming on? I said, no. I said, why don't you, why don't you take this next exit and, and let's check it out because we had, something had fallen off a trailer in front of us. And so we had hit something, we didn't know what it was. And um, about that time, we heard a rumble in, in the back wheels. And I said, we need to get off quick. And so he pulls over in the middle of the dark, and we have a blown tire. Um, we got the spare tire out, switched it out, and did all those good things uh, that, that uh, you know, you have to do when you have a, a flat. And we knew that the tire shop at Moralton closed at 8 o'clock. And so we limped along on the donut uh, to get to Moralton, the nine miles down the road, um, and got there with ten minutes to spare. And nine pounds of pressure in that tire. God was taking care of us, needless to say. So why am I sharing all of this this morning? Well, What I didn't tell you was that the Sunday before this happened, God laid it on someone's heart to give us a love offering. I don't know who gave it, uh, and just as a side note, moving forward, so that you know, I don't know who gives and who doesn't give and how much they give. I don't know any of that stuff, okay? I don't know who gave us this love offering. They chose to be anonymous. But I wanted to let that person know that God used their gift in a spectacular way. You see, a love gift was given specifically for Caleb, which when I received the check or when he received the check, um, he was really confused. He was like, "What's, what's this? And I said, well, apparently somebody gave you a a love gift. And he's like, why? (laughs) I said, well, apparently they love you. I don't know, man. Uh, We could take it back if you want. But uh, the love gift that was given to Caleb covered almost all of his uh, car repair. And the love gift that was given to Joanna and I covered almost 80%. Of a new set of tires for my vehicle. I didn't know we were going to need that money. But God did. And what is so spectacular. Is that he chose to use a member of this congregation. This body. In order to bless us. To display his grace. Toward us. They obeyed the prompting of the Holy Spirit. To give. And blessed my family in a tremendous way. And to be honest. These are just a couple of the ways. That God has worked. And displayed his grace toward us. Over the last 30 years. I could go on and tell more. Story after story. About how God has supplied our needs. Whenever We knew we needed it, and sometimes even when we didn't know, we needed it. Well, this morning we are returning to our sermon series in the book of 2 Corinthians. And uh, if you remember back in the fall, we covered chapters 1 through 7 of this book. And so now we're going to jump back into chapters 8 and 9, which is kind of a parenthesis in the middle of this book. Uh, that we're going to look at over the next three weeks and then the six weeks to follow that will cover the last four chapters of the book. Um, The interesting thing is is chapters 8 and 9, I said it's kind of like a parenthesis, these two chapters really focus in on a particular topic. When I was serving on staff at a church in central Arkansas where where Joanna grew up and uh, George and Dreen were members for so long. Um, every January, the pastor there would preach on a particular topic. What was it? Giving. giving. Every January, the pastor would preach a month-long sermon on giving. It actually became somewhat of a joke. But um, the fact is, is that God has led us in the book of 2 Corinthians to talk for the next three weeks about giving, about giving generosity. And so uh, that's where we will be for these next three weeks. Now I mentioned earlier about the recharge books. Um, Our ushers have one of these. If you would like one, if you want to raise your hand, they will bring one to you. I know a lot of you have already picked them up, but one of the things inside these recharge books is that it has a place to take sermon notes. And so if you want that now, if you'll raise your hand, Brother Steve will find you in just a minute. Uh, But we want to encourage everyone to pick up a copy of the Recharge book. It can be a companion guide for you as you walk through each week in your personal spiritual disciplines. Um, It allows you the opportunity um, to re Engage your brain as to what you heard about on a Sunday morning, and it will bring thoughts back to your mind, and I I believe that God will use that in a special way. So again, over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at this middle section of 2 Corinthians, and then, like I said, we'll spend six more weeks uh, working our way through the last four chapters of this book But if you have your Bibles and would turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to be thinking about this, uh, this concept of generosity and how that it is a manifestation of the grace of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1, the Bible says, we want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also." I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Well, as we look at this concept of generosity, uh, there there About four things that I want us to look at here and the first of those is the pattern of giving the pattern of giving that we see here. You see Paul challenges the church in Corinth with the example of giving uh, that was done by the churches in Macedonia. And so what is the pattern of giving that we found there in the churches of Macedonia. Well, the first is in verse 1. Their giving was evidence of God's grace. I love what he says here. We want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Yes, it was money. But it was more than just money. It was the grace of God. Ephesians 2 verse 8 tells us, For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And that is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Right? You see, the Gentiles in Macedonia received the message of grace through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Paul had gone to Philippi. And he had gone to Thessalonica. And he had gone to Berea, these towns in Macedonia. And he had shared the gospel of grace, the good news about free salvation the free gift of God and so because of that experience of grace that experience transformed the way that they thought and it caused them to be concerned for others even Jews living in Jerusalem folks we too have received this free gift of God's grace and considering all that God has done for us by His grace, shouldn't that motivate us to give? He has given so much to us. Shouldn't that motivate us to give also? Well, you know what? Some of you may be thinking, oh, I, I hear you, preacher, but you don't know me. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know. How difficult finances are right now. I can't afford it preacher. Well let's look at the second thing about their giving. Their giving was in severe trials and extreme poverty. It was in the midst of severe trials and extreme poverty. You see Roman oppression had hurt this once prosperous region. The Romans had... Uh, seized the affluent silver and gold mines and they had taxed heavily the importation of salt and smelting copper and the profitable timber industry for shipbuilding was also under the control of the Romans. The, they were struggling in Macedonia because of what the Romans had done. Listen to some of the accounts of these struggles. I said earlier that Philippi was in Macedonia and Thessalonica was in Macedonia. If you turn to the letter to the Philippians, Philippians 1 verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul is writing to the Philippians and saying, you're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. To the Thessalonians in chapter one, verse six, he said, and you, came, and you became imitators of us and of our Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Later in chapter 2, verse 14, he said, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. And up, did you hear that? The churches in Macedonia imitated what was happening in Judea, in in Jerusalem, the suffering that they had dealt with. The verse goes on and says, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did. From the Jews. You see they were giving in the midst of severe trials and extreme poverty. In the next letter to the Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1 verse 4 says therefore we ourselves boast about you. Paul's telling them we're boasting about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith. In all your persecutions and in the the afflictions that you are enduring. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. For which you are also suffering. The churches of Macedonia were going through some difficult, difficult times. You know, you say... You know, here in the U.S., we think we go through economic downturns and difficult times also, don't we? But if I may, uh, you know, having spent half of my adult life living in a third world country, I have a little bit different perspective on that issue. Uh, Living in the U.S., frankly, we struggle to understand what it means to be poor. We say we're poor, but I think we really struggle to understand what that means on a worldwide or global scale. Given the much higher standard of living in the United States, what is considered poor here is a level of income still not available to most people globally. In a a study conducted a little over 10 years ago, And by the way, if you think about that, that was just as America was emerging from the uh, economic downturn we experienced in 08. Study conducted a little over 10 years ago. The Pew Research Center set out to determine how income in the United States compared on a global scale. I'll share those results in just a moment. But before I do that, I want to ask you a question. How much would you say... It costs your family to live each day. How much? If we can go to the next slide. How much would it say, how much would you say it costs your family to live each day? Think about what you do. What do you spend on your coffee in the morning, or eating out, or your groceries, whatever, whatever. You got a, a, a dollar sign in mind? Now, remember, I asked about your family, all right? So if you and your wife go get coffee, or you all go together, how much does that cost on a daily basis? How much would it be if you added in all your extra living expenses? You know, those, those frivolous things like mortgage or rent. And electricity and water and you know, how much would it be then if you if you factored that into your daily expenses? Well, as I mentioned, there was a, a research study done by Pew Research Center. I'm going to put the uh, results of this on the screen. I know that you're going to struggle to see this, and so if you're in the Uversion Bible app. Uh, there is a link to this article, all right? And so you can go and you can read the whole article and find this, this information. But according to this study, if you live on more than $20 per day as a family, then you would be considered upper middle class on a global scale. if that number exceeds $50 a day, then you are in the highest income class in the world. Folks, I know you can't see a lot of that up there, but you see those big green lines in the upper middle and the high, uh, you know, high class, or what's, it's not called high class, what's that called? High income class. A little difference in in meaning there. Um, 88% of Americans fall in one of those two categories. 88% whereas only 16% of the rest of the world would qualify to fit in one of those two categories. Folks, 71% of the world's population, as of 2011, so it's a little dated, but it's not that dated. 71% of the world's population lives on less than $10 per day. How can we say that we cannot afford to give? The Macedonians gave out of severe trial and extreme poverty. And you know what? They didn't just give a little. Their giving was exceptionally generous and completely voluntary. They gave according to their means is what it tells us back in our text in verse 3. They gave according to their means and beyond their means of their own accord paul wasn't you know telling them this is compulsory you got to do this it was their choice to give beyond their means the macedonians wanted to bless others with what they had it wasn't about how much they gave because in their extreme poverty, they, they really probably, if you think about it, the offering probably wasn't very big. But if they were going through these difficult times of persecution and trials and were experiencing extreme poverty, anything that they gave would have been a tremendous blessing. And so it's not about how much you give folks. I mean, I wish we could all afford to give $1,000 a week to the church. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah, no problem. But the reality is that's not where we are. It's about the heart and the attitude of the person when they give. That's what's important. Not about the amount. It's about the faithfulness to do it. In your recharge book next week, you're going to uh, study a story that Jesus told about a widow woman who gave a very small gift that he said was greater than anyone else who had given. I encourage you to, to be sure and look at that. The Macedonians didn't just give according to their means. They gave beyond their means of their own accord. How many times have you ever heard of a Donor begging to be able to give to someone or something. I said that right. How many times have you ever heard of somebody wanting to give, begging someone to please let me give to this? Have you ever heard of that? I mean, it's not often, especially not in my income class. Usually it's the other way around. It's, it's the... <laughs> the missionary standing up in front of the church begging the people to help support this ministry. Uh, I always told people when I served as a missionary, I felt like half the time I was a bank and the other half I was a beggar. Because when I got over there, everyone came to me asking for help and support. But when I came here, all I did was ask for help and support. These people, according to verse Four, it says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They were begging Paul to allow him to help the suffering saints in Jerusalem. That that puts a whole different twist on this idea of giving. It was exceptionally generous and completely voluntary The fourth thing that I notice about their giving is that their giving emerged from their commitment to the Lord. Notice verse 5 again. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God to us also. Folks, we can't miss this point. The Macedonians gave the way that they did because the first thing they gave was they gave their heart, their lives, their everything to the Lord. If you're not currently giving generously to the Lord, you don't have a budget problem. You have a heart problem. Because when we give ourselves first to the Lord, then the grace that we receive, we want to return to anyone and everyone we can. The result of their self-surrender was more than just mere generosity with their money. It led to giving of themselves. At the root of genuine generosity is the dedication of our whole life to the service of Christ and service to others. This was the pattern laid out for us for giving here in 2 Corinthians 8. But let's back up for just a moment and think about the purpose for giving. Why did they need to give their giving was going to be sent to the suffering believers in Jerusalem now there was a history of trials and suffering in the Jerusalem church you know the church was formed during the ministry of Jesus Christ was empowered at the day of Pentecost by the Holy Spirit of God we find that in Acts chapter 2 in Acts chapter 4 we see that Peter and John are arrested in the temple for preaching the truth of the gospel In Acts chapter 5, the Jewish high priest had had all of the apostles arrested in a jealous rage after they had done many signs and wonders. And so he arrested all of them. In Acts chapter 6, people were conspiring against followers of the way. They were spreading lies about them. Specifically in this instance about a man named Stephen. And they did this to stir up the crowds. And by the end of his sermon in Acts chapter 7, Stephen was stoned to death by those same, same crowds. And then in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered. Those people scattered because of this persecution. And those that scattered traveled throughout the known world at that time. Many of whom became core group members of new church plants in those different areas they scattered to. The interesting thing, I've said this to you before, but you may not have heard it, The Lord Jesus told his followers in Acts 1, verse 8, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He said that in Acts 1, 8. But it wasn't until Acts 8, 1, when they were scattered, that they actually started fulfilling that. And they went to all these places, and they were witnesses. So the church of Jerusalem had suffered a great deal over the many years of the early church. In Acts chapter 11, verse 27 and 28, a prophet of God named Agabus foretold that the, by the Spirit that there would be a great famine that would soon fall on Jerusalem. He prophesied this to the church at Antioch and those people at Antioch received his prophecy and they immediately started to prepare funds to send to the church at Jerusalem to be able to help them. And in Acts 11, verse 30, the Bible tells us that the offering for the church in Jerusalem was delivered by the hand of two men, Barnabas and Saul. Do we know who Saul is? Became the Apostle Paul the one who wrote this book to the Corinthians. It's likely that this this activity that he had been involved in as a younger believer with Barnabas, taking these relief funds to the church at Jerusalem, it's likely that that served as a model for Paul many years later as he continued to take up collections to help other believers in need. We see next that Paul intends to send one of his disciples, Titus, to help facilitate the collection and delivery of this offering to Jerusalem. You know, I think it's important for us to notice one very important thing here. Nowhere in here do we find any judgment made against the Jews, the believers in Jerusalem, Because of the situation they found themselves in. There was no judgment. And and folks, sometimes things happen in life. Sometimes there, there may be a time where you fall on hard times. It happens. There's no judgment here. And so we don't need to sit in judgment when somebody finds themselves in a financial crisis either. Because of the grace of God to us, we should demonstrate God's grace to them as well through generosity. I'm so thankful that we have a benevolence fund at this church. And I'm so thankful that so many of you give to that benevolence fund. You never realize the people that we are able to give because of their privacy we don't tell you about every time we do it. Now there's a difference between helping and enabling. We understand that. And so the woman that asked us for help a second month in a row, we said no last week. But you know what? We helped her tremendously last month with a big financial need. Do we judge them? No. No. We can't judge them for what they, what they find themselves dealing with. So that's the reason, the purpose for, for this offering. The, the next thing I want us to look at this morning, and these last two points will go much quicker in case you're worried, all right? Uh, the third thing I want us to look at here is the prescription for giving. The prescription. How did, God, how did Paul prescribe to the Corinthian believers to go about doing this uh, offering, this collection? Paul had laid out the example of the Macedonian believers before them to motivate them to do as much as the Macedonians had done, if not more. Because the Corinthians were in a much better place financially, uh, so they should be able to do much more well this next section starting in verse 6 Paul prescribes four specific conditions for their giving the first is found uh, the first one I want to talk about is found in verse 7 and that is remember why you give verse 7 tells us You know, you excel in everything. See that you also excel in this act of grace also. Why do we give to pay the bills? Well, that's a pragmatic answer that would not be incorrect. But the reason that we give is because it is a demonstration of the grace of God in our lives. As we are giving back (laughs) to others. It is an act of grace. So we need to remember when we're giving that this is an act of grace. The second thing is we've got to give willingly. Verse 8 tells us that our generosity is a demonstration of our love. It says, I didn't command this, but By the earnestness of others, he wants their love to be seen as genuine. It's a demonstration of our love when we give, if we give willingly. But if we give begrudgingly, or if we give out of guilt, if there's anything I can tell you this week, and the coming two weeks, as we talk about generosity, please hear this. I do not want you to give if it's just out of guilt. Don't do it. If the only reason you're giving is because you feel guilty to do so, then again, you've got a heart issue, a heart problem. I want you to give because you want to give, because God has given you so much. The third thing that we see here is a condition of their giving. We actually see it in verse 6 as well as verse 10 and 11. And that is finish what you started. Follow through on your commitment. Verse 6 talks about uh, how that Titus had started this process. And then verse 10 and 11 he goes on. uh, A year ago started this. So now verse 11 finish doing it. If you're going to make a commitment, you need to follow through on your commitment. I think you heard about that last week from Pastor John. About empty words. How we'll say we'll do something and then actually don't ever do it. His specific example was prayer. How we say, well, I'll pray for you, but do we? This is another If you make a commitment to give, follow through and do it. Finish what you started. And then the last one. Do your share. But watch this. Don't do more than your share. God's wanting us to give according to what we are able to do. Verses 12 through 15. It goes into this. He talks about he's not trying to make it easy for others and hard on the Corinthians, but he wants it to be fair. So in your abundance at this time, supply for their need. You're doing fine. Take care of them. Next time it might be you that needs something. Do what you can. Do your share. Now while these are great things to remember, there is one last thing that we need to consider this morning. So look with me once again at verse 9. Paul wrote, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He became poor so that we might become rich. The God of heaven condescended to earth to live as a man. Not a rich man in a palace, but a very poor carpenter in probably a mud hut or possibly a cave. He came to live as a man and without his choice to do that, we would never be able to be reconciled with God. Because of his choice to condescend to our level, he became poor. He was the God, is the God of all creation living in the splendor and glory of heaven, and chose to come 2,000 years ago to be born of a baby in a stable. Can you imagine giving birth with the medical facilities they had 2,000 years ago? Growing up in that, he became poor. So that we might become rich. You know this reminds me of another verse. Another verse actually here in 2 Corinthians. We talked about it just a few months ago. It's found in chapter 5 verse 21. Where it says for our sake he made him to become sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ became poor so that we might become rich. Jesus Christ also became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. How does he make us rich? Well, folks, we're not talking about money here. Okay? We're not talking about if you follow Jesus, you'll be healthy and wealthy and all that good stuff. That's not what we're saying. We're talking about real wealth, not temporal or temporary wealth. You know if you compare chapter eight, verse nine with chapter five, verse 21, you will notice a subtle comparison beca- between becoming rich and becoming the righteousness of God. You remember what Matthew six, what Jesus told us in verse 33? He said, "But seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." and all these other things will be added to you seek first the kingdom of god folks real wealth is investing in things that have eternal value things such as faith love the peace of god and the power of the holy spirit at work in you none other than the grace of christ which has reconciled us to god will work to produce these such things. We've got to have the grace of God in us to experience that faith, that love, that peace, that power. Being a partaker of this grace, offered freely to us by Jesus Christ, is the beginning of our ministry of generosity if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior, then this whole concept of being generous just is crazy to you. It doesn't make sense. Why should I give of what I worked hard to get? But when you trust in Christ as your savior, you all of a sudden realize that it's not about what I got, it's about what God has gifted to me. He has graced my life with all these things Now I need to grace others also. Jesus. Is our perfect example. Of generosity. As we become more like him. We will become. More and more generous. Folks. It's God's will for you to be generous with what you have. Because. He knows that when we're generous, then we have the heart of Jesus. We have that character of Christ. I wasn't going to bring this one up because i got to save something for the next couple of weeks. But i got to say it. Matthew 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Are we giving up all of our earthly temporal treasures to follow the Lord? Are we truly surrendering all to him today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for the truth therein. Lord, I thank you for how you have shown me over these many years how you are faithful to take care of us. Lord, thank you for uh, teaching me to put you first in my finances. Lord, help me to become more generous. Help me to constantly remember the grace that I've experienced And grace others also. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.